Welcome in Sunday morning edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. Thank you so much for spending your weekend with us. Really excited for this one. We are talking individual improvements for Nets players, free agent targets that we want the Nets to look at, what the starting lineup could potentially look like with the return of Jeremy Lin next season, and whether or not the Nets should be tanking. All that and more next on part two of the mailbag. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back in Sunday morning edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. You are listening to Locked On Nets, which you know at this point, because you've said it four times, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Gavin Shaw. After four years covering the Phoenix Suns, I moved back to my native New York to cover the Brooklyn Nets. Josh, and this this is weird. This, this gets into some time travel theory, relativity. A lot of interesting scientific questions, because when you're listening to this podcast, Josh will have been back in New York for three days, but at the time of recording, he is still getting off a plane. Incredible. How is that possible? I can't explain it. But as it is, we are very lucky to have a, I don't want to insult Josh, but a slight upgrade. The NBA's Matthew Drexler on the podcast for part two of this mailbag Shout out to A.D. Pedis. I keep changing the pronunciation. I will never figure it out. Add more vowels. Uh, the Reddit user who asked us a bunch of different questions, and we are going through all of them. All right, so Drexler, the next one on our list. Uh, this one this one kind of a far-reaching one. We, we can go as far or as little as you want on this. I, I think at some point we're going to do, do a full podcast on this topic, so I, I think maybe the best way to do it, if, if you're cool with this, would just to be to go rapid fire and go player by player by player. But he wants to know, like, what improvements we're looking to see from each player this offseason. Are, are, are you cool just going guy by guy? Yeah, we could. And, and definitely, like, I think we should key on guys who are going to be here. Uh, like, the cornerstones, like Karras, Russell, Allen. Right, James, James Webb. Are huge. Milton Doyle, Jacob Wiley. I got you. I know I know who we're talking about. All right. <laughs> we'll start with the big three. As I call them, I, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get that made as a T-shirt and and sell it independently. All right, uh, well, let's go. Um, we'll go uh, descending salary. All right, because that, that's how I have the Nets roster currently listed in front of me. All right, first guy up. What improvements do you want to see from the 19 million dollar man, Alan Crabb, this offseason? Um, attacking the rim. Mm. His defense was a big uh, emphasis point this past season and I think he improved a lot watching him from game 81 and then to game 82 or game one excuse me in game 82 There's just, there was a small a improvement from 81 to 82 yeah that was a big jump yeah uh, <laughs> so um, I was happy with what we saw from him on the defensive end this year now going into next season the second year with the Nets I want to see him put the ball on the floor and go towards the rim we know the type of shooter he is out on the floor so if he can become a dual threat of attacking the rim and breaking down defenses He's going to get a lot more space on the outside and help this offensive game that much more. Yeah, I'm going. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think I think that's a big part of his game. But I think the biggest thing he can do for his ability to get to the rim is become more consistent as a shooter. And obviously, Crab was an extremely high volume three point shooter this season, making and taking uh, the most attempts of any player in Brooklyn Nets history. But he just wasn't quite as accurate as you'd like to see. A guy who consistently shot better than forty percent from three point range. We mentioned it. He was second in the NBA. His last year in Portland, hovering right around 47, dropped all the way down to around 36-37% this season. And obviously it was better in the second half of the year. And there were some encouraging signs, but 
the the way he can live up to that contract, and obviously he he didn't ask for that contract. He he was just able to get it. So so no shots at him for earning that amount of money. But the way he can he can kind of justify it is by turning into a high volume guy that still is able to hit forty percent of his shots from three. And, and to me, uh, I, I don't know I don't know if you noticed this, Drexler, but a, a big thing I was harping on all season for him was kind of consistency with his form. And when his shot looked really good, it, it was because it was really smooth and really easy. Like at times he was hot, he'd have this really quick rapid fire release and his mechanics were, I, I'm trying to think of the best word to describe it. Maybe, maybe just clean. There weren't a lot going on. It was just a smooth kind of like L shape with his arm and just, just a flick of the wrist. And then times you saw him kind of really overthinking it and getting in his own head. Like he'd pull the ball back a little bit. There'd be weird arm angles. And it, it's, it's interesting. This is something I've heard Kyle Korver talk about a lot the last few years, and he, he kind of took credit, and LeBron gave him credit for improving LeBron's shot. And the big thing he said for LeBron and even like guys across the NBA, like a lot of times it just comes to making your shot as simple as possible. And that's, that's a big theme. Like anytime you hear great shooters talk, the simpler it is, the better it is. And I really think that does apply to Alan Crabb. So I, I think if he could kind of follow that ethos and really take advantage of his first full offseason in Brooklyn, I, I think he could come back a more consistent shooter. Yeah, I think part of that has to do with uh, just rushing shots and getting quick looks. In Portland, he was coming off the bench. He was their third, fourth option offensively. Obviously, you had Damian Lillard, TJ McCollum, Evan Turner. Here in Brooklyn, he's easily the best knockdown shooter that the Nets have. Um, and so defense is keyed in on him and made sure he didn't get any open looks. So he's kind of rushing shots more so than he had to do in Portland. So I do think that was a big factor as well. Yeah, and, and the big thing is you start shooting 40% from three-point range in a high volume, guys come further and further out on you, and that, that's kind of the, the not-so-sneaky secret of Steph Curry's success because with, with guys playing 30 feet out on him, he, he suddenly, like a guy who's not known for his elite athletic ability, he became unstoppable going to the rim. And, and Alan Crabb, obviously, at six foot seven, a little bit more bulky, not really going to be able to sl- slide past guys in quite the same way. But I think he could be pretty dangerous attacking the basket, and that was obviously a big part of his game in college, and he showed flashes of it with the Nets. But I, I think that'll only improve the better he gets shooting the basketball. So that's something that's really intriguing to me. All right, all right we'll keep going and maybe move a little bit faster on these. Uh, Timothy Mozgov, I think we could uh, sum it up as uh, just, just keep, keep being a nice guy. Like, he's, he's going to be on the bench. He's got to be the big, friendly Russian we all know and love uh, over these next two seasons where he's going to be making uh, $16 and $17 million a year to watch NBA basketball. Hey, shout out to him. He is a great agent. All right, uh, Damari Carroll, uh, who is coming off arguably maybe not his best season in the NBA in terms of overall utility, because I think I think he peaked as, as an athlete and as a defender when he was in Atlanta, but offensively maybe his best season ever. Uh, is there anything you could really think of with him or just, just continuing his consistency shooting and scoring the basketball? Yeah, I would say just continue his effort and – Mentor, mentor, mentor. That's really what he's here for right now. Obviously, the Nets want to win games, and he's going to help them win games. But uh, young guys, uh, teaching them the right way to lose, the right way to win, uh, making the right passes, how to deal with adversity, things like that. That's really Damari Carroll's role on this team for the long term. But in the short term, he's played really, really well uh, in between the lines and has helped the Nets uh Get, get close, I should say. Not win ball games, but I can't tell you how many five-point losses the Nets have had. So I, he's been an awesome veteran presence for the Nets uh, on and off the court. I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think he just has to continue along that road. And I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued what his role on this team going forward is just because you, you assume the Nets are going to keep 
trying to build around their youth. They're going to bring in more young talent this offseason. And and I, I was mapping out the rotation for our final question for this one, and it, it, it really is deep at this point. So I'm intrigued because he, he was a guy for like the final, or not not April, but March. He, he was the best guy on the Nets in terms of plus minus and the way he was impacting the team on the court. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what role he plays next year and whether it, it's smaller or continues to be the same. Uh, Jeremy Lin, a guy coming off injury, so it's really hard to uh, pinpoint something specific for him. But I, I guess I would just say, like, hopefully he comes back maybe a little bit more explosive. And I know that that's a tough ask coming off a major leg injury at age 29. But we, we've seen guys with, with modern training, like, often come back better from injury just because they're given 10, 12, 14 months to really really focus on one part of their body so if I'm if I'm going to throw something out there maybe that would be it yeah and Jeremy Lin's interesting because I hear Nets fans all the time what's his what's Jeremy Lin's role going to be what what are we going to do with him we have a logjam a point guard if Jeremy Lin is healthy he's going to be the Brooklyn Nets starting point guard next year he is their most polished player he is uh, the guy that they gave the keys to the franchise to a few years ago um, so if he comes back and he's not traded, I know we mentioned him in part one as being probably their best trade asset. Um, he's going to be in the starting lineup, so he's going to try and help them win games. And if he's on the roster, they don't trade him. The Nets will be looking to win some games, and he's going to have to be that leader, that veteran presence on the floor along with Amari Carroll that helps this Nets team win games. And he's going to have to keep and make sure everybody gets involved. Uh, as a starting point guard, all these guys are going to need to try and get looks. So that's what he needs to do in this next upcoming season make sure everybody gets involved yeah no i'm i'm, I'm with you on lynn and uh i i think he's going to be a big part of this team and i think especially what he brings on the defensive end because that was kind of the net's biggest weakness last season just being totally unable to really just master basic pick and roll coverage and that, that kind of goes into our next guy d'angelo russell uh, to me, that that was that was the first thing I wrote down. Like, figure out how to guard pick and rolls because it seemed like, especially as the season went on, a- any time uh, a-, a team would set a screen on him, he would just immediately be out of the play. And it was it was the simplest way in the NBA, almost regardless of team, to create a two on one opportunity or four on three if you want to expand it across the court. Because Russell would just get taken out. I, I wanted that uh, improved explosiveness and improved shooting. And so I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm interested to see what happens. This is obviously his first full offseason in Brooklyn, and the Nets have kind of prided themselves on being amongst the best in the league at player development. I think D'Angelo Russell at this point is probably by their standard, like I would argue for Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, but arguably their biggest asset and the guy who has the best chance of, of reaching that star potential. So I think this offseason, it's tough to say it's make or break for him because he's only 22 years old, but I think in a lot of ways it is. Like I think, I think it's on him to get a lot, lot better for next year. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with him is versatility. And what I mean by that is we talked about Jeremy Lin returning, and if they don't trade him and he's still on the roster, Jeremy Lin's going to be your starting point guard. But the Nets like him, D'Angelo Russell, as a point guard. Um, So he's going to have to play both the one and the two. So with Lin at the one, Russell's going to be starting. So he's going to be your shooting guard. He's going to be your combo guard. The plan for the Nets was this season for Lynn and Russell to play together in the backcourt. And if they're both still on the roster, you bet that's going to be the plan going into next season as well. And then when Lindsay Dinwiddie will be out there, Karis LeVert, but there could be times when it's Russell and Joe Harris, Russell and Crabb in the backcourt. So he's going to have to play the point guard as well. And the Nets like him as a point guard. Yeah. Um, so he's going to be playing both positions in this upcoming season. So he's going to need to learn how to play off the ball as well as 
with the ball in his hand. So versatility with D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be fascinating to see because obviously they spent all of last offseason uh, creating this offense around Lynn and Russell's ability to create off each other in this two-point guard system. And then it had to get scrapped after one game because Lynn immediately was out for the season. And then they didn't really even have a chance to develop it with Dinwiddie and Russell with Russell missing, like, I, I think, what was it, like a 40-50 game chunk in the middle of the year? So it's it, right, right, right. So it, uh, it, it'll be intriguing to see like that, that idea come to, uh, come to fruition and, and whether or not that, that actually works. And they're going to have to take advantage of the fact that Russell at six foot five can potentially guard shooting guards. But again, that all goes to his defensive development. All right. Uh, let, let's keep it moving. Uh, Jared Allen, uh, I think you're going to be with me on this one, Drexler. I think the biggest thing for him is it's just, it's all, it's all physical. It's all about him getting bigger and being able to bang with bigs. And obviously, this isn't all about post-ups because teams, I don't think, are, the Nets in particular, like are going to welcome you trying to post your big on Jared Allen saying, like, look, if you're going to base your offense around that, we will take it every single time. But just Allen being able to create position for rebounding and continuing to get stronger on the offensive end so his post moves are more effective, I, I really think, to me, that that's the quickest avenue for him making a leap because – from a skill perspective, he, he he was far ahead of where I thought he would be this season. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, his length and athleticism is what uh, really you love to see his promise. That's his, his future. That makes him such a, a prized possession for these Brooklyn Nets. So what's going to have to happen? Where does he improve? Like you said, it's just strength and weight. So he can go down there, guard those big guys, Dwight Howard, Joel Embiid, uh, in the paint, Al Horford. Uh, so he can really try and equalize that matchup because his length and athleticism uh, make him such a promising young young center. Right, and and that's, and again, like the Nets' confidence in his ability to bulk up to a large degree is going to define their offseason because I know at, at points this season I was like, all right, they got to like find a way to bring in a starting center next year, assuming they want to make a playoff push because Allen, as, as talented as he is, just isn't there physically yet. So to me, that's really, that's really going to shape what they do next year. And I think the Nets are following the more prudent path and just betting on Allen and, and his continued physical maturity and then 19, like presumably he still has a lot of room to grow. All right. Uh, last three guys, uh, Karis Levert. Uh, what do you, what, what do you think about him? A guy who has all the talent in the world and just seems like he needs to be able to harness it consistently. Yeah. It's definitely the two or two things with him. Actually one is control. Sometimes when he goes to the rack, he's a little wild, uh, and unorthodox. And that's what also makes him so good is that he's crafty, but he needs to learn how to, be more controlled when going to the rim. I like the unorthodox uh, style, but if he's able to control a little bit more and be under more uh, structure with that, he can be really good when attacking the rim. And also his shooting. Uh, he's been very inconsistent from the outside this year, I thought. So if he's able to knock down that outside sh- outside shot with a little bit more consistency, consistency uh, it makes him that much more of a better offensive player. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. Um, I, I thought, especially in the middle, Part of the year, his stroke looked really, really good, and there, there was a month span. I, I think uh, most of March, where he he was shooting over fifty percent from the field and over forty percent from three point range, and his shot just looks so easy when it's going in. But then at the very beginning of the year, a little bit in the middle of the year, and at the very end of the year, he he struggled with with massive bounce of inconsistency on that jumper. So uh, to me, that that's the biggest thing. And and if, and if he does make that jump shot consistently. I, I, I'm of the opinion he's, he's one of the hardest guys to stop in, in the league at age 23, 24, uh, getting to the basket. He, he's, he's so, so fast going to the rim. And I, I think people 
um, out, outside of outside of our Brooklyn Nets fandom, which is probably most of the people listening to this, kind of underestimate that, and that will only get more deadly if he continues to improve his shot. All right, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I know I know a lot of these improvements sound similar across the board, but for me, it was just about him getting his legs stronger because I feel and and getting in the best shape of his life because I think it's pretty clear. And let me know, let me know if you agree with this Drex, but I I think he faded over the course of the season. And obviously in the middle part of the year, he was a clear candidate for most improved player in the league. He he still is. He's still going to finish top three, I think. Right, right, right. And he he was, he's far and away the Nets most important player to the end of the year where he never like fell out of the rotation, but he, he did, he did get benched and he, he wasn't playing as significant of a role as he was early in the year. To me, that all stemmed back to him losing a little bit of the zest and the energy he had earlier in the season. And, and I think that affected both his jumper, where he he totally fell off a cliff like a guy who was shooting like 36 37% early in the season, dropped all the way down to the low 30s. And, and then just in his ability to get to the rim and in and, and that final uh, Bulls game of the year, you, you kind of saw flashes of it where he was, he was pulling bigs out again and attacking them off the dribble. And to me, that's what made him so fun to watch, his ability to be smart enough and patient enough to generate switches and then take advantage of them. And whether that meant getting a layup or, or hitting a three in some poor center's face or, or throwing a dime to the corner like that all relied on his ability to play balls to the walls in controlled bouts of explosiveness. And I think he lost that a little bit as the season went on. Yeah, I think it's consistency with, with Spencer Dinwiddie. We talked about how the Nets loved him they uh, and how they developed him um, from being a G League guy to being the Nets MVP for a short part of that year, a good stretch when Russell and Lynn were out. Um, that's where, where Dinwiddie really got to shine. And then when Russell came back, it was kind of, okay, uh, I don't have the ball in my hands 100% of the times. So how do I play off the ball? That's a big thing with Spencer Dinwiddie. I know he's a point guard. Uh, he's going to be coming off the bench a lot, I think, in this upcoming year. Um, so he's going to have to learn how to play off the ball a little bit if he's playing in crunch time. And his outside shot, that's something for me. I, I, I think I see a lot of times with Dinwiddie, he will go on a run where he hits two, three, four in a row, and then he's ice cold for uh, the second half or something like that. So I want to see more consistency from him. And maybe if he's able to play a little bit more off the ball, he'll become uh, more usable in different spots. Right. Uh, let me... Let me go to our last guy, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, uh, one of the most improved players on the Nets relative to last offseason. He completely reshaped his offensive game, added that mid-range jumper that was so consistently deadly for him. What, what, what do you think is the next step to him really becoming a complete player on both ends? Yeah, I think we talked about most improved player. Um, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson had so much improvement this year with the Nets. Uh, outside of Dinwiddie, I think he had the most improvement of any Nets player uh, this season. Um, for Rondé, he sometimes can get a little bit out of control when going to the basket, but he definitely improved on that a lot this year. He still has a couple step, a couple more steps to take, but he got better at going to the rim this year. And his outside shot, too. We talked about stretch fours in this league. Now there's almost stretch fives in the NBA. Um, so... Hollis Jefferson is a little small to play center. I know the Nets ran him at the five for a couple of minutes here and there during the season. Um, he was drafted at the three. He's predominantly playing a four right now, and, and the five would be a second position. Um, so if you're going to be playing 
uh, the five and especially even the four, which he's, it's his, it's his primary position. You have to be able to knock down, not just an outside shot, but a three point ball, mm. um, something that he's been working on, but he has to get that down if he wants, uh, to be a starting caliber power forward in this league. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and, and there would be, there would be sequences this year with the Nets where, where they'd, they'd break down the defense. They'd swing, swing, swing. And Hollis Jefferson would end up with an open three and he'd either hesitate and turn it into a drive that wasn't quite as effective or, or he'd, he'd break a three off the side of the rim. So uh, I I just feel like that would totally expand his game and really take him up another level. And a guy who's only 23 years old, he has a very good chance to do that. And he doesn't have to necessarily be a great three-point shooter. If he could hit 35 36% from there, that, that would really turn him into a more effective uh, offensive player. The other thing for him, uh, for me, that I really want him to focus on is his playmaking ability. And if he can continue to expand that part of his game. Because we saw flashes this year in games where he'd be really good passing the basketball and throw some of those uh, crafty interior passes that Karis LeVert is such an expert at. Uh, That would make him a lot more intriguing to me. All right, uh, we're going to take a break, uh, potentially even split this one up into a part three because we are running really, really long, which is great. Uh, And uh, and we'll be back on the Locked On Nets podcast. All right, spoiler alert, we are going to go to a part three on this edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. Matthew Drexler is back one final time to talk about the Nets starting lineup this season and a few more notes on Nets free agency. All that and more next time on the Locked On Nets podcast. You can find that in your podcast feed Wednesday morning. Until then, be well.